Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inkwell Gamers podcast. I'm Dana. And I'm Dalton. And you are on episode six and jumping right in the middle of our set review of all of the colors, all of the cards. And in case you are coming in right now, we've already gone over Amber, Amethyst, Emerald, and Ruby. So today we are gonna be covering Sapphire. We are almost through all six. And before we get started, we're going to just keep doing what we've been doing every episode before we cover the cards themselves. Dalton's gonna go over kind of an overall pros and cons of the color and then giving you an idea of what our grading process is like, and then we're gonna go through all the cards. All right, so let's go over the mechanics and kind of the identity of blue. So the one thing that blue is really good at is it is good at ramping your inkwell. So putting ink into your inkwell more than just once a turn so that you can play more expensive characters or actions before your opponents can. Mm -hmm. That's like the main powerful thing that Sapphire does. The other thing is that it is the color with the most item payoffs. Now, while that is a positive, it is also maybe a negative because I think that items might be one of the worst build-around themes. There aren't a lot of really powerful items. I do think the item payoffs are good, but I just don't think the items themselves are there yet. Yeah. And uh, there's not a lot of card draw, not a lot of removal. So to me, just at first glance, this has been my least favorite color, but we'll talk about more as we get into the cards. Dana, why don't you start off with Ariel? Who's it, Collector? Well, do you want to first go over how we grade the cards? No. <laughs> All right, let's let's turn back time a little bit. So, let's go over the grading process. We have five grades: S through D, S, A, B, C, D. S being the absolute best cards, D being the absolute worst cards. So, S. Those are cards that you couldn't imagine cutting from your deck. The absolute best cards in that color. The cards that you're probably going to play no matter what your deck is trying to do. An example of this is Rapunzel from Amber. Or maybe in Ruby you have Aladdin Heroic Outlaw. Next, we have A's. These are some of the best cards in the color. They have a really high power level, and they'll be played in most decks, but it's possible that there are a few archetypes that might not want that specific kind of card. So an example of this is an Amber Maximus Palace Horse. Also in this category are cards that kind of spawn their own strategy because they are just that strong. Something like Stitch Rockstar is a really good example because it's really kind of one specific strategy you're trying to, but it is the best reason to be in that strategy. Next, we'll go to B. These are just very solid role players. There will probably be a four of in a lot of decks, mainly because they're inkable and they're, they have a pretty cheap mana cost. So Stitch New Dog is a good example, just a one cost 2-2 two, two, that's inkable. You can play it in a lot of decks, hard to go wrong. Another example is a card that has a lot, you know, maybe a much higher power level, but is more narrow, or maybe it's not inkable, something like Hades, King of Olympus. Now we'll go to C's. These are cards that take very specific decks to be playable or could have some pretty niche applications. A card like Sebastian Court Composer could be good in a song-based deck, but is under just understated otherwise. Or you could have Dingle Hopper, which could be good in a deck that has a lot of item paid offs, which is going to be something we're going to talk about in Sapphire, but is just a really bad card outside of that. And then you have the Ds, which are mostly unplayable. These are cards that you're probably not going to play in any deck unless there is just some crazy reason that you feel the, the need to play it. A card like this is Healing Low doesn't have a lot of utility, versatility, but it does do something just not at a very good rate. So with that being said, let's get into our first card we have, which is Ariel Who's It Collector. Dana, tell me about Ariel. I know you love Ariel. Well, although I love her as a princess, I do not love this card. She is a four drop, uninkable, a three, three, 
quests for one. And her ability is, look at this stuff. Whenever you play an item, you may ready this character. I think she is a C. She's not inkable and only quests for one. She would be good in a certain deck built around items, but if you, let's just say, pair up Sapphire with Amber to play like a princess deck, I think there are better princesses. So, I mean, even if we're, we're going back and looking at Ariel on Human Legs, also a four drop, Ariel on Human Legs is inkable, whereas this one is not. She is a three four, where this one is a three three, and she quests for two, where this one quests for one. So I think she just, the Ariel, who's a collector, she just is, she's kind of sucky. Yeah, she really doesn't meet your expectations, mine either. She is a C to me. Now, in a specific item deck, I can see her being really powerful because uh, you get to ready this character, but unlike in red, when you can ready a character, this doesn't have the clause that you can't quest again. So yeah. you can quest with this card multiple times, and there are a couple cards that work really well with that in Sapphire that we'll get to, but yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced that this one is very good still. Yeah, maybe in the future as, again, we've I know that we've been saying this with the potential that we could see in cards, but maybe not right now. They're that great. So in the future, as more items come out, more powerful items that you would actually build an item deck around, this would be really good. But right now, the application is just not there. Yeah, even if they come out with a lot of one cost and... I hope they don't do zero cost items, but if they do that, then you can really start to see things getting really powerful with her, but you need a critical mass of those in order for it to be really strong. Yeah. Okay. So next princess, we have the first of three Auroras. The first one is Aurora Briar Rose. She is a inkable four drop, a two five quest for one, and she has the ability of disarming beauty. When you play this character, chosen character gets minus two this turn. What do you think about her? I gave her a C. It could be a B. It's very similar to that three cost Maximus that we saw earlier with the ability. It just has a little bit higher stat total, but it's a little bit more expensive. I just don't know if you're ever going to put this deck over other four drops that this color or another color could have access to, but it is not bad at controlling the board because it has a decent amount of willpower and its ability. It helps you clear up your opponent's characters without really harming yours. So I could see it being a B, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of at a C with it. I am right there with you. Although I did like write down BC range. So kind of on the fence with both. I think compared to the other Auroras that we're getting ready to talk about, I gave both of them a higher grade than her because I mean, we'll talk about one, but there's an Aurora that you can shift upon. And I think there's another Aurora that would be better to shift her on. So I don't really see too much of an application of her where there might be certain decks that you might want to have her. But for right now, I gave her like a BC. Yeah, yeah. She might be a role player at some point, but she's not particularly powerful by any means. Yeah. All right, so which brings us to the next Aurora. Do you want to talk about that one? Yes, Aurora Dreaming Guardian. It is a five cost inkable. It's a three five that quests for two. It has shift three. So this is the cheapest shift character that we've had so far. Three mana to upgrade presumably one of your other Auroras seems pretty good. And it also has this other ability, Protecting Embrace. So your other characters gain ward. So this is a card that I put as a B, but honestly it could be an A. Because when you're trying to build around specific characters or interactions, which it seems like Sapphire is trying to do, this protects those characters, those important characters like Ariel, who's a collector, and Maurice, which we'll talk about a little bit later. The really cool thing about this is that if you have have two in play they give each other ward so they're protecting each other as long 
Uh, they're both in place, so your opponents can't target any of your stuff like a dragon fire or targeted removal spells. Mm-hmm. So I think that is pretty powerful, and I think this is going to be a very synergistic driven color. So I'm I'm kind of happy that this is in Sapphire because this is probably one of the best things that Sapphire has going for it. I gave it a B initially. I I think I'm going to give it an A. So I gave it a B. I have no real reason why. I gave it a B. It was just like my instinct. I, I looked at the card. I compared the stats and what it quests for and the, like all the things that you talked about. And I just instinctually was like B. And I really don't have anything else other than what you've already said to say about it. You know, that intuition is pretty valuable. Like just seeing a card and being like, oh, this is what it feels like. That's okay. It's okay to feel that way. Well, thank you. <laughs> so like I said, I gave it a B initially too. Yeah. Yeah. I am always hesitant when doing stuff like this, because I think with you having a longer experience playing TCGs, I am kind of just going off of what it feels like to me as, I guess you could say like a newbie. Like I know that you and I have just played TCGs casually, but you've at least done it competitively and for longer. But yeah, so that, that, yeah, I just feel a little bit less confident, but I'm glad that we at least align on this one as far as where we feel like she is. So um, the next Aurora is Regal Princess. She's an inkable two drop, a two two, quests for two. Again, I gave this one a B. I think she's just a nice solid two drop and she quests for two. So I think that she has that going for her as well. Yeah, and the reason why I like her is because it curves right into the five cost Aurora really nicely. So you have that neat curve of Aurora Regal Princess shift into Aurora Dreaming Guardian. That's a pretty efficient two and three cosplay, I think. So I gave the Regal Princess a B as well, but it's, you know, it's just a two, two, a quest for two. Its stats aren't great. It does mm-hmm. quest for two though. So it's not a bad card. It'll, it'll see play in the decks where Aurora Dreaming Guardian is in. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the next one we have Bell, Inventive Engineer. Do you want to tell them about that one? Yeah, so Bell, three cost inkable. It's a two, three quest for two, and it has the ability to tinker. Whenever this character quests, you may pay one less for the next item you play this turn. I gave this card a C. I think that this theoretical item deck that we're kind of seeing come together could be interesting, but it also seems like you just need a lot of pieces to make it work, and I'm not convinced we have that many pieces to make it good yet. Mm -hmm. If this thing had stats like a 3-3 to where it could trade with the most other common 3-drops, I'd be a little more interested, but... I just don't know if it stands alone by itself. The really powerful thing about it is that it does stack with other Bell Inventive Engineers. So if you were to have three in play and you quest with three of them, uh, you could play a four cost item for one. That does seem really strong, but again, you need multiple of these in play. I just don't know how common that is going to be. What did you give this card, Dana? Um, I gave her a C as well. I just think, like you said, for her cost and her stats, she isn't really that strong and her ability right now could potentially be good in the future, but I just think it's not really applicable. And if we're comparing her to other cards like her, which are gonna talk about in a couple minutes, but Jasmine is a card that is also a three drop in quests for two, just like Belle, but she's a three, three and not a two, three. So I think even though you're not using her ability, if you're just looking for someone with better stats, she's not it for that cost. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be heavy item based to really think about her. Yeah. All right, so next one is a special one for us just because we opened up an enchanted version of this card from what we got at Gen Con, but it is Belle, strange but special. She is a inkable four drop, a two four, quest for one. She has two abilities. So first one is read a book. During your turn, you may put an additional card from your hand into your inkwell face down. And then my favorite part, While you have 10 or more cards in your inkwell, this character gets plus four lore. What did you grade her as? I am up and down all over the place on this card. I used to think it was insanely good, and then I went through a period of time where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is playable even. 
and now I'm back on to the idea that it's actually pretty good. And the reason why I didn't think it was very good for a time is because its first ability, when you can play a card from your inkwell face down, there's not very much card draw in Sapphire. So how often are you really going to be able to do that mm -hmm. in order to create a noticeable advantage? You might be able to do it once, but you've probably already ramped your ink through Mickey Mouse or One Jump Ahead card we'll talk about a little bit later, that I just didn't think that this was consistently ramping you enough. And I was not sure that the payoff was there, even if you did get to, to tint ink in your ink well. And it seemed really hard to do that when you don't have a lot of ways to draw extra cards. That being said, questing for five is so strong. Yeah. It is so many. It is 25% of what you need to quest to win the game. So just like I said about Mickey Brave Little Taylor in the last episode, but this is even more so, and it's a four drop with other utility, I, I do think that this card is pretty good. It's going to end games very fast once you get to that late game. Yeah. What do you think, Dana? So I, I definitely think it's up there. I have it as an A, but honestly, I'm Same. even wondering if it's an S. And I know that you said what was holding you back from thinking she's good and that Sapphire doesn't have a lot of drawing abilities. However, that's, I feel like, based on the assumption that you're just playing that one color. You're, you can pair Sapphire with another color that does have a draw ability. Yeah, you can pair it with Amethyst or Amber, the two cards that do draw more than others. Yeah, so I feel like that takes away maybe your hesitation about it. And so that's why I would I would give her like a S or an A for sure. Mm, yeah, I think because the item theme and you have to play a specific color with Belle for her to be good means that she's just not going to go in every deck, uh, yeah. which is why I, I don't want to give her S, but in the heavy ramp decks, I definitely think she could she could be an A. Yeah. So. Well, you can't even you can, I mean you can't even argue against the fact that when you get to the point where she's questing for five, she's a four drop. Like yes, she might not be questing for five right away, but if you compare her to Mickey Mouse Brave Little Taylor, he's questing for four as an eight drop. Mm -hmm. So although it takes you a little while to get her to that point, you put her on the board for cheap. Yeah, yeah, she is not that expensive, doesn't have great stats for her cost, but you're not really playing her for her stats anyway. Yeah. So I can I can definitely see her being not as good as I think. I can also see her being better than I think, which is kind of a, a weird place to be. But yeah, I think she's an A. I think the decks that you put her in and the decks that you really build around that first ability of hers, she's going to be very strong, but you do have to make sure you're drawing extra cards to play extra ink turn after turn. Yeah, you gotta plan accordingly when you're building your deck with her. Okay, moving on. So we have Chief Tui, um, respected leader. He is a inkable seven drop, a three six, quests for three and has the support ability. So again, whenever this character quests, you may add their strength to another chosen character this turn. So he would be adding three to a chosen character. Where do you put him? I have a question for you, Dana. Okay. <laughs> do you think this card survives the Maui test? Well, no. <laughs> no, it does not. It does not. It is more expensive the Maui and I know it's trying to do different things than what Maui does but I just have a hard time imagining playing this card when I know Maui is in the format. I don't want to play a seven cost card that just comes in and automatically dies to my opponent's five cost character. It just I just know that's not gonna feel very good. Then again I have it as a C. Okay. I have it as an AB and I feel like I get where you're coming from, but going back to, I feel like either earlier this episode or last episode when you brought up that too, 
you're going off the assumption that... Not you, every deck's going to have Maui. Not every know. deck's going to have... I know that you really like him, but yeah, yeah, not every deck is going to have him to where you would be worried about it. So no. I think he's an AB. I think he's a really strong character. I like that he quests for three. I like that he gets support or gives support. So that's where I would put him. Yeah, I, I get it. He has decent stats. He quests for a pretty good amount, and the support ability is going to be good. I'm not sure how good expensive support characters or how much support actually matters on expensive characters yeah. because you're already in the late game and uh, you're like, you want to quest with these characters anyway, but I feel like support is really good on cheaper to more mid range characters mm -hmm. when you're able to, you know, make favorable trades trades in the mid game i feel like this being just an expensive card means it's going to be hard for you to make those trades because it's seven ink yeah but i mean it is just another ability tacked onto it that can make it better so yeah. i could see a b rating on it but nah, yeah yeah no you i mean you're making good arguments too i i do get it he is expensive i think the fact that he is expensive is why i want to teeter him down to a b i think he's still but i'm still kind of stuck between the a too so i think his cost is what would make me kind of teeter him down to a b but mm -hmm. no you make a good point i get it um okay moving on donald duck shredding his stuff he is a five drop inkable a four three quests for two and has ward personally i'm in the bc range i think he's expensive for his stats not really exciting to me so that's why i kind of put him there yeah i think i'd initially had him around a, a c2 i'm still kind of there ward is a really strong ability if this thing didn't have ward i would think it was very bad because smash and dragon fire take care of it pretty easily but the only way that your opponents can banish this is through challenging and i know it doesn't survive the maui test i'll say it again no, i'm just kidding <laughs> um but being resistant to some of the more popular removal spells you see in the format does give it a lot more utility. Like I said, not all colors are playing red or ruby. So when your opponent's playing steel, they can't smash it. That makes it pretty resilient. And I, I kind of like it. I think it's a C still. I don't think it's great, but it is a, it, it has some utility there. Yeah. Okay. So next one. Flounder, Voice of Reason, a Inkable One Drop, a 2-2, two, two, Quests for One. What you got? It's a B. It's a B for me, too. Solid right. solid B. Nothing really to know. All right. We can move on to Grandma Tala Storyteller. I want to hear your opinion on this one. I'm going to have a take that most people probably don't have. Yeah. So I, I love this card. I think I, I love it for both the actual card itself, but then it ties into what she kind of does in the movie, which if you haven't seen Moana, Grandma Tala kind of helps her. Well, I'm not going to give that away, but if you have seen Moana, you know what I'm going to say. This but card's very flavorful. It's very flavorful. So she is a inkable two drop, a one, one quest for one. However, when she is banished, she does not go to your discard pile, but instead she goes into your inkwell face down and exerted. So even when you're done with her, she's still helping you later on getting extra ink into your inkwell. So kind of a little bit of a, a ramp basically to your, to your deck. So I think she's like a solid B. I might put her as an A, but I, at least when I first went through this, I just put her as a B. I like mm. her a lot though. Yeah, so I think I'm going to give her a C. <laughs> um, so the, the main issue that I have with Grandma Tala is that it's not a consistent source of ramp in the early game or the late game. The thing about one jump ahead is that it happens right then right so yeah. you get the mana boost for the next turn same thing with the mickey mouse that we'll talk about in a little bit whereas your opponent kind of has the control when they want to have this turn into mana because they can either just sit there and not quest and then or not challenge this when this quests and 
that's okay for your opponent because if you're playing this card, chances are that you just want this in your inkwell, yeah. right? You're trying to play something expensive. It's just not consistent. It's like if it had two strength, it could trade with some things. That would make me a lot more interested in it, but it doesn't trade with anything and challenges. So I'm, and you can only have so many of these ramp cards in your deck anyway. I could see maybe putting two of these in a deck just mm -hmm. so you have a little more consistency on turn two. But like I said, it's still not even that consistent of a card in my opinion. So I'm, I'm kind of at a C with it. I'm willing to be wrong on this one. I know I'm going to get, you know, a lot of people aren't going to like this yeah. rating, but that's just how I feel, how it's going to play out a lot of the time. So going back to kind of combat what you said, I know that you mentioned it's not going to maybe be as quick or as instant as one jump ahead, but I feel like that ability, so it, it kind of also de-incentivizes your opponent from wanting to challenge her. I feel like when you're talking about our stats with it being so weak that you're thinking it from an aspect of if you want to challenge with her, I'm thinking about it from a point of keep questing with her until your opponent wants to get rid of her. But if she doesn't end up in your inkwell, she is getting you a little lore every turn and your opponent probably won't want to challenge her because they know it'll go to your inkwell. So even if she doesn't go to your inkwell, you're benefiting from her being able to quest and then maybe not wanting to put her in your ink you know what i'm saying i guess but that doesn't really feel like the reason to play the card to me it like if i wanted something that could quest for one as a two cost card i would just play a two three that could quest for one that could actually trade with other things this does have a little bit more of an upside than just a random two three but I also think it uh, has a little bit of downside because it's just so bad at challenging too. But like I said, I could be wrong about this and, and that's okay. I, I don't mind being wrong about things. It's just too inconsistent for me when I know that the whole point of this card being in your deck isn't to quest with it. It's really to give you more ink so you can play the expensive things, right? We can disagree. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Moving on with that. Um, so we have Hades Infernal Schemer. You want to talk about that one? Yeah, Hades Infernal Schemer is cool. Uh, it is a seven cost uninkable. It is a three six that quest for two has the ability. Is there a downside to this? When you play this character, you may put chosen opposing character into that player's inkwell face down. So you give that player an ink by banishing their best character, which is probably a pretty good trade. I gave this one an A. It could be an S. It's very similar to the Maleficent and Ruby. The downside is that this is an inkable and they get that extra ink on their turn to use, but it is a very efficient way to take care of your opponent's most problematic character. Yeah. I am not going to lie, I put him as a B at first, but kind of hearing your side, I could see him being more of an A. I put him as a B only because he's expensive and uninkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I get that. But, and, and I didn't really, I wasn't too sold on his ability at first because I thought, okay, you might be getting rid of a character that your opponent has that might be threatening, but you're also adding it to your, their inkwell. And so I'm like, I don't know, I, I kind of would be hesitant about that. But if you're thinking about it, he's a seven drop. You're already to the point where both of you have a lot of ink in your inkwell anyway. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like it's a mid game where they're still hoping to get more ink to play certain cards. By this time, they probably have all of the ink that they could ever need anyway. So yeah. that trade is worth it. I think I'll bump mine up from a B to an A. Yeah, this is the card that you're trying to ramp into, essentially. Yeah, for sure. Good card. Okay, um, next one, Jasmine Disguised. Kind of started hinting at this one earlier when I was talking about Belle, but she is a three-drop inkable a 3-3, three, three, quests for two, no special abilities, but I think she's just a solid B. Yep, she's a solid B. I I think I actually have her as a C because it's the same exact card as the Amber Mickey Mouse, which I don't think lines up against other three drops particularly well, but this one might have a little more upside because of the next card we're going to talk about, which is Jasmine Queen of Agrabah. It is an inkable five cost, two five, that 
has a lore of two, and it has shift three, so another cheap shifting character, and it has the caretaker ability. When you play this character and whenever she quests, you may remove up to two damage from each of your characters. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that, Dana. How do you, how'd you rate Jasmine? So... I put her I put her as a BC. I think if in the right deck she could be good, more maybe the BA. Maybe we just have to wait for future sets when more forms of her are made because right now there's only one other form of her and then when you play it her ability might not be able to do anything anyway, so it's kind of circumstantial. Mm -hmm. Um, and although she shifts for three, if you didn't have another Jasmine already in play, I think for her being a five, her stats kind of suck. So I don't know, especially because there's also, like I said, only one other Jasmine currently. So chances of you maybe having enough forms of the small, like of a smaller one to shift with her. I just don't think she's good right now yeah i also gave her a b but i don't like her a lot i think an actual downside is that when you shift her onto the three cost jasmine her strength goes from three to two so she you know gains more willpower but she gets less strength so she's not gonna be able to challenge bigger characters which is a downside i definitely want my expensive shifting characters to be able to to make those trades with other three drops and survive yeah which this uh, i guess it can do but it's just not that great at doing so the next card we have is maleficent sinister visitor so it is a four cost inkable character with three four stats and it quests for two it is just a straight upgrade from the aerial walking on legs that we talked about in the very first episode of the set review yeah i give her a b just mid strong nothing nothing exciting about her would just be a, a fine four drop mm-hmm. yeah i gave her a c i was on the fence between c and b it it's a fine four drop nothing fantastic i don't really think there's any four drop songs in this color like there are in amber uh even though that one's not particularly good so you're not really singing a whole lot with it even though it can it's just fine yeah. It's it's nothing spectacular. So moving on to another Maleficent. We have Maleficent Uninvited. She is a Inkable 5 drop. She's a 3-6, quest for 3, no special abilities. Where do you put her? I have this one as a B. I, even though it's 1 ink more and it's only 2 toughness more, it does quest for 1 more. And I think the sizing is decent there and it quests for a lot. Again... This has the Maui problem, but, you know, Maui's not going to be in all your opponent's decks. I think it's a little bit better than the four-cost Maleficent. Yeah, I have her in the middle between an A and a B, which might be a little bit generous if I think she's closer to an A, but I just am thinking from the standpoint of she quests for three, and because her, even though she doesn't have a lot of strength, her willpower is a six, and so your opponent is going to have to make the decision of whether they're going to want to attack her with one of their big dudes Mm -hmm. or whether they're going to want to trade two smaller ones into her. So that's why I think she she could be a little bit better than a B, but um, if anything, she is at least a B in my yeah. in my mind. Yeah, I think against non-Ruby decks, this is going to be a pretty threatening card. Mm-hmm. So next we have an interesting card. It is Maurice, world-famous inventor. It is an inkable six-cost 2-7 that quests for two. Whenever this character quests, you may pay two less for the next item you play this turn. And whenever you play an item, you may draw a card. Dana, talk to me. I gave him a C. (laughs) I think he could be really good in later sets. I know we've been saying this over and over again. Sapphire is built around having an item deck. Right now, I just don't think there's a lot of good items to have an item deck, but I could see it being really good in the future. He has two abilities that rely upon that. I think if he had two abilities and one wasn't so reliant on items, he would be better because you could at least use one of the two, but because both of his abilities rely on items and right now there aren't very many good ones, I bumped him to a C. So I put this one as an A. 
Oh. <laughs> um, much like Stitch Rockstar, which is probably just a better car than this, but like how Stitch, that Stitch spawns a specific archetype because it's so powerful, it, it kind of makes that archetype. I think Maurice kind of does the same thing. This is the reason to play an item deck and to try an item deck out. It is a giant payoff drawing a card every single time you play one can generate two three cards a turn maybe more now maybe the cards you're drawing aren't the greatest because they're mediocre items right but at some point you're gonna draw into another maurice and once you have two of these going you're you're probably gonna be able to draw your whole deck and do something pretty Pretty powerful with it. This is probably the best payoff that you have for an item deck. And then the Ariel Who's It Collector. If you can get one of those down with the Maurice, you're going to be able to probably win the game in a pretty short order. So I'm really high on this card. I think the power level is there. It's just going to be hard to figure out the right build initially if there is a correct build for it. But I think there will come a time where this is one of the better cards in the format. It's just It just might not be right now, but I think the power level is there. All right. Yeah, I could see that. Don't agree with you as of right now, but that's okay. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. <laughs> hey, like I said, it, it might not be good right now, but I think it will be. Um, okay, so moving on, we have Merlin, self-appointed mentor. He is a four-drop inkable, a three-four, quests for one, and has support. I have him as a B. I think he's pretty solid, and I always like a good support ability, and so that's where I kind of put him on that. He's a B. He has solid stats, he's inkable, and support can help you win in challenges that you couldn't normally win. There's nothing glaringly wrong or bad about this card, but it doesn't blow you away. It's a B. Yeah. Next one, Mickey Mouse Detective. You want to talk about that one? Yeah, so I have this as a B because, well, let me read it first. It is a three cost uninkable. It's a one three that quests for one, and when you play this character, you may put the top part of your deck and your inkwell face down exerted. In the ramp decks, I do think this is going to be a pretty good card because it's consistent, but the second copy of this that you draw is very underwhelming. They don't, like, once you get up to five mana or six mana, you have most of the ink that you want anyway. In mm -hmm. seven mana, you have Hades, which you don't really need more than that. So drawing these late games, just feels really bad because the stats aren't there but it is a really important card to have on turn turn three for the those sapphire ramp decks yeah i have him as a b without his ability he would definitely be a c i think just because he's uninkable and his stats aren't yeah. that great yeah without his ability he's he, an f yeah <laughs> <laughs> but his his ability is what's keeping him out of b just like dalton said because you can get more ink into your ink while ramp up your deck there. Yeah, you only want to draw two of these effects a game, so you kind of need it if you're the ramp deck, but yeah, drawing a second and third copy of this when they're uninkable just isn't isn't very good. Yeah. All right, so we've got Mufasa, King of the Pride Lands next. He is a six-cost inkable character with four-six as its stat line and a quest for three. It is pretty much the exact same card as Stitch, Abomination, and Ruby. Dana, talk to me about this one. So I gave him a B. I think he's a, def a decent big boy. Even though he does not have an ability, if I'm comparing him to like Chief Tui from this deck, he costs one less and gets one more strength. So I think he would be a nice B and that's where I put him. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a B, even though it's the same card as Stitch Abomination, which I think we might have had as a C. This is a different color, and it's the color that allows you to play this card earlier, so I think that makes it a little bit better, and the high-cost threats in this color aren't as strong as they are in Ruby either, so yeah. this is just a stronger... It's Even though it's the same card, it's stronger because it's in this color specifically. Yeah, I agree. There isn't as much much competition here as there is in Ruby like we talked about so yeah okay 
So next is Philatetes. He is, oh, so trainer of heroes. Right now there's just one of them, but he is a two drop inkable, a three one, quests for one and has support. So he gives three. I, I have him as B. He's cheap, has the supporter ability. And I think for supporters that are one or two drops, they normally give only one or two in strength, whereas he gives three. So that's why I think, I mean, he's he's solid in my opinion. Yeah, I gave him a B as well. This card, I think, plays out a little bit better than what it, what it looks like. Just because when you play an expensive character and your opponent has a Philoctetes out, you can't really quest with that expensive character if they have an expendable character lying around, like maybe a random 2-2 two, two for 1, because that's going to become a 5-5 five, five and then trade into your expensive character. So it has, it's a it's a much more impressive card in play, but with that being said, it is still only a 3-1, so it's going to trade with every character your opponent plays. But like I said, once in play, it, it is kind of strong. Okay. Next. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, um, go Okay, so next is Robin Hood, Unrivaled Archer. He is a inkable six drop, a four four, quests for two, has two abilities. So the first one is Feed the Poor. When you play this character, if an opponent has more cards in their hand, you draw a card. And then good shot, during your turn, this character gains evasive. So what did you give him as? <laughs> I gave this card an A. I think when you're trying to ramp your ink into into expensive cards, this is one that you really want to ramp it into because the problem with ramp spells is that they don't really impact the board in a meaningful way or they are kind of useless late game. Mm -hmm. Well, this helps you use those turns early and then it gives you a decent body to challenge with or quest with and it gives you a card back a lot of the time so you get that card advantage aspect from it as well it is next to hades the the reason to be playing blue and the ramp strategy in my opinion yeah i give him like a a b i think although he is a little more on the expensive side he has solid stats and sapphire really doesn't have a way to deal with evasive decks as much as maybe some other colors that might have removal actions or characters that have evasive and so the fact that this is one of the very few cards in this color that could help you deal with an evasive deck would make him more on the a side so that's where i kind of land on that yeah he, i didn't even mention that but that definitely gives him a lot of upside as well he's uh pretty defensive against decks that you might have a hard time dealing with normally yeah all right, so next we have Scar, Mastermind. He is a six-cost inkable character with stats of 5-4. That quest for two, he has an ability, Insidious Plot. When you play this character, chosen opposing character gets minus five strength this turn, which is honestly a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as to what you gave Scar. I gave him a B, but I feel like I should have given him an A. I think he's similar to Robin Hood in that he's more on the mid to expect expensive side but he quests for two and he also has that ability that allows you to get rid of a character for essentially free because you're challenging them for free once you give them that minus five yeah almost so. almost nothing has more than five strength right so yeah. you're gonna be able to challenge that character and not lose anything yeah, I think maybe the reason why I didn't give him an A initially and I held him back to a B is because his ability only triggers um, when you play him. And therefore, it might be circumstantial where when you play him, your opponent might not have any characters exerted anyway to where you could challenge with another character that you might already have in play, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So... That's why I think I held him back to a B when I was doing this. Yeah, I gave him a C. I think he's worse than Robin Hood. I think he's worse than Hades. Those are the expensive threats you really want to ramp into. And 
he might even be worse than Triton, who we'll talk about in a second. But I'm I'm not convinced of his power. He does quest for two, which is good. He is inkable, and that ability he has can be powerful in the right circumstances. I just haven't seen it play out too much to where it's really good. And even whatever your second color is, I feel like there's probably other expensive things that you might want to uh, ramp out as well. Yeah. But I could definitely see him being a player in some metagames for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on, we have Tamatoa, so shiny. He is a eight drop inkable, a five eight quest for one. Has two abilities. So the first one is what have we here? When you play this character and whenever he quests, you may return an item card from your discard to your hand. And then Glam, this character gets plus one lore for each item you have in play. What do you have him as? <laughs> I have him as a C. He could be a B. This is another payoff for the mythical item deck, right? Mm -hmm. It is not near as strong as what Maurice is, but... I'm pretty confident that once we get more items, this thing is going to just two-shot your opponent. It is going to quest for 10 one turn, and then because it has such a big body, it's going to survive whatever challenge they have, then it's going to quest for 10 the next turn Yeah. because you have so many items in play. I think that could happen in two, you know, one or two sets if they give you enough cheap items. But as it stands, I don't think we're there yet, and it is expensive, so... So you probably can't play too many of them. So yeah, I gave it a, a C. Okay. Yeah, I give him a C too. I was kind of thinking about him similarly to how I graded Maurice because Maurice has those two abilities. Both of them rely, rely on items. He also has two abilities that rely on items, which right now I just don't see that being a type of deck I would want to have. And like you said, he is expensive. So even if I were to take away his items and just look at him stat wise, we're going to get ready to talk about our last character here in a second but he is one more expensive than that character and has one less willpower than that character and doesn't quest for as much so I feel like even if I were to disregard his abilities I don't really see him as a powerful character that I would want to play so that's why not I yet give him a least. C. Not, not yet yeah, at least. Not, yeah, at least. Yeah. yeah there is a world where next set they print like five zero or one cost items in sapphire and then this card just becomes crazy good like i could see it i don't think it'll happen i kind of hope it doesn't happen because i don't know if that would make for the best play experience but yeah, it wouldn't be as fun yeah it wouldn't be as fun just getting two shot by this character uh every game yeah so that brings us to our last character of Sapphire, which is Triton the Sea King. So he is a seven drop inkable, five nine, quests for two, no special abilities. But like I said, when we are going over Tamatoa, he's one less to play, he quests for one more, and he has one more willpower. And so with that being said, I think he's like a B, maybe an A because he has probably one of the highest willpower in this set as a whole. And so he would definitely be really annoying to try to challenge. So I gave him like an AB. I gave him a C just because I, I think that there's going to be a lot of good cards to ramp into. There's a lot in this set and there'll probably be a lot in more sets that I don't know if a vanilla 5-9, you know, a 5-9 just with no extra abilities is good enough. It is very big though. Your opponent's characters are not going to be able to handle this effectively. Mm-hmm. It definitely survives the Maui test, right? Yeah. So I can I can see this one being good just based on stats alone. It's 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 just so big. It has I think it has the highest toughness in the game so far. Yeah. Highest uh, willpower. So there might be a place for it for sure. All right. So with that, we are done with our characters. Now let's get into our actions and items. First one being develop your brain. It is a action that is a one drop inkable and it allows you to look at the top two cards of your deck, put one into your hand and the other one at the bottom of your deck. What did you give this one? I gave this one a B. I could honestly give it an A. 
There's really low opportunity cost in the sense that it costs one mana and it's inkable and it gives pretty solid card selection. Uh, you get a look at the top two and, and, and pick one. So there's there's nothing that can really go wrong when you put this card into your deck. Mm -hmm. And it, if you're playing one of these item combo decks, it can help you find the Maurice or the, the Tomato or whatever piece you need to start really enforcing your game plan. So I gave it a B. I I probably should give it an A though. I was a little harsher on this one. I gave it a C. I feel like it's good, but I might not necessarily need it all the time. So I, and I might not want to have four of it. So I kind of gave it the lower end and, and made it a C. Okay, so next one is if it's not Baroque. It is a action, a uninkable three drop. Return an item card from your discard to your hand. Personally, I gave this a D. I think as of right now, it is unplayable and it is <laughs> uninkable. And I don't know, I just, I don't like it. <laughs> it's like currently, what? There aren't a lot of things that banish your items in play anyway, and there aren't any good items really that you even want to give back. Yeah. So yeah, this card to me, is, especially in Sapphire anyway, like maybe if you have a magic mirror that gets banished or something, but yeah, this card is, is not very good. I also gave it a D. Okay. I feel good about that then. <laughs> I feel a little bit better. Yeah. Okay, so next one, let it go. Do you want to let talk about it this go, one? Let it go, let it go. Yeah, as a five cost <laughs> song, it is inkable and you can put chosen character into their player's inkwell face down and exerted. So this is very similar to Dragonfire and Ruby in that you basically get to remove any character that you want to in play. Mm -hmm. The downside is that it goes into their inkwell. A lot of the times when you're at five ink, you don't need too much more though. Now there are some decks like Ruby that has some nine cost Maleficence or whatever mm -hmm. that can use that extra ink, but some of the decks aren't going to be good at using that extra ink. The plus side is that you can sing this with a five cost character and that is inkable. It's a pretty versatile card. I gave it an A. I gave it a B. I think it is maybe a little too expensive. I feel like it would be an A if I saw it as like a four drop instead. Well, it also costs zero sometimes. That's true if you sing it, but I feel like there are going to be certain situations where I would want to benefit from this, but I wouldn't want to sing it and leave my character on the board uh, vulnerable to get challenged. So yep. thinking about if I were to not want to sing this, I think it's a little bit more expensive than what I would want it to be. Yeah, that's the same as Dragonfire then, I think, which is a pretty good card. One of the little benefits that you can get from this is that, let's say you just had five ink and a useless character in play, you could let it go your own character and then maybe play a more expensive card like Triton on your next turn. Now, that's not something that you'd want to do very often, but it is a little extra versatility and just, you know, a little, a little utility that you can have with this card. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I honestly didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's it, that's that, a that's again a niche scenario, yeah. but it could come up as we get more powerful seven or eight cost characters in the future. For sure. Okay. So our next song is One Jump Ahead. It is a two drop uninkable and you get to put the top card of your deck into your inkwell face down and exerted. I gave this a B. I think it's a great way to ramp up your inkwell for free if, yeah. you, if you do sing it. Yeah, I gave this one an A. When you're in the ramped deck, when you're trying to create all that mana, this is the card that you want to play on turn two every game to get your game plan rolling. The the only issue with it is that your second or third copies are much less good, but it is really important to have that first copy just to so you can start playing your four drops and five drops earlier than your opponent. So I have it as an A. Okay. Moving on, we have Work Together. This is an action that is a one-drop inkable. Chosen character gains support during this turn. What you got? 
<laughs> I gave this one a D. I don't think that these one-cost cards that give your characters some minor ability like this are really ever worth a full card. I'm, I'm never going to play it. Yeah, I I gave this a C. I feel like it could be good in niche situations. I might not want to have all four in my deck. Maybe just splash it with one or two. So that's where I landed on that one. It is inkable at the very least. That's true. So our next card is the beginning of our items for this color. We have Coconut Basket. It is a inkable two drop and has the ability Consider the Coconut. Whenever you play a character, you may remove up to two damage from chosen character. Consider the Coconut. What a what a name. Consider the Coconut. I gave this like a CD range. I'm probably rarely going to use this, so it's not really needed. Um, yeah, that's where I fall with that. I don't really have that much to say about it. I gave it a D and I think... I think the perfect example why is when we were at the pre-release mm -hmm. and we had a four-player multiplayer game going. Yeah. One of our opponents played this card pretty early into the game, maybe turn three or turn four, and then just never used it the whole game. And that's in a four-player game when you're much more likely to get challenged by other players and challenge other players. And it was just absolutely terrible there. So I can't imagine it being good in a one-on-one -on -one setting either. It, it just does not do enough. Yeah. All right, so the next card we have is Eye of Fates. It's an interesting one. It's a inkable four-cost item. It has the ability to see the future, you exerted to give chosen character plus one lore this turn. I gave it a BC. I think I lean towards C because it's expensive, mm -hmm. but I'm keeping it at a B because since it's an item and there aren't very many cards right now that can remove items from the board, you can constantly exert this every character to just keep adding one lore to your to your character every turn. So it kind of helps you chip away. Mm -hmm. So that's why I I would think it's a B if it wasn't so expensive. And that's where I kind of land on that. Yeah, I have a C if the deck with Ariel Who's It Collector becomes a real thing. I think this is going to be one of the best cards in that deck, probably behind Maurice and Ariel, because if you can continuously play those items to untap Ariel, then she is going to quest for two, maybe three or four times that turn, which seems really strong. It's going to be one of the combo pieces in that deck, but outside of that deck, I just don't see playing it very often and i'm not even sure if that deck's very good so i guess we'll have to wait on that one a little bit but i have a seat it could it could end up being uh, a bigger role player in that deck though so moving on we have fishbone quill it is a three drop item that is inkable so its ability is go ahead and sign you exert it to put any card from your hand into your inkwell face down what you got <sighs> I gave this one a D. I, I am not honestly sure how this card plays out. If you have a lot of item synergies, it might be fine as like a C, but just putting a random card into your hand or into your inkwell from your hand every turn, you're just constantly going down on cards. Uh, sorry if you hear our cat. He's uh, he's a little wild at night sometimes. Yeah, he's singing the song of his people right yeah. now. <laughs> but yeah, going back to this, you're just losing card advantage every turn. And maybe if you're an Amber Amethyst, you have a way to really fuel this and make it actually good, much like the bell. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm not buying into this one yet. I gave it a C. I think for right now, I don't want to have four of these i might put one or two but i think it could be useful to put on your board and just keep there and then if you would get into a position which i, I know like when i've played there have been times in which 
I have almost all uninkables in my hand and there's one that I probably do want to play but I don't have ink yet. I think it would be really nice just to have this ready to be able to use its ability and maybe put one of my uninkables that I don't want to play into it so I could play a higher cost card. Yeah, so this, that's actually an interesting point. This is a card that maybe along with one jump ahead and Mickey Mouse Detective, maybe you can play a higher level of unequal cards in your deck mm -hmm. because of these cards. And the unequal cards are generally more powerful because you can't ink them. So that could definitely be an avenue to explore. Just putting a bunch of uninkable cards in your deck and these and seeing how you could push the boundaries of that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna upgrade it a little bit too. Okay. So moving on, we have Magic Golden Flower. It is a one drop inkable with the ability healing pollen. Banish this item and remove up to three damage from chosen character. I have this as a D. I feel like I'm rarely gonna use this, so I almost don't even wanna bother putting it in my deck anyway. Yeah, the only application this has is that it is a one drop item, so it works really well with Maurice, and it's pretty good at keeping Maurice alive. Yeah. But it its effect is just so minor, but maybe just being a one drop item is, is good enough if you're the item deck. I don't know, haven't really explored that yet, but kind of interested in trying it. I also gave this a D because I just don't see it happening yet. For sure. All right, which brings us to our last card of Sapphire. It is the Scepter of Arendelle. It is a one drop inkable that has the ability command. So you exert this and then your chosen character gains support during this turn. I have it as a C. I almost wonder if I should put it as a D. I, I don't know, I feel like it could be useful in niche situations, but I don't wanna to have too many of these. And then it makes me question if I don't have too many of these, if I even want any at all. This card makes me kind of mad because they put work together in the same color and set that does the same thing, except for it's in action and it isn't so it's not repeatable so this card is just so much better than work together i i don't know why they didn't make this one uninkable if they were going to do that i don't know why they would put work together in this set if they're gonna put this card in this set it just it just blows my mind honestly it doesn't make any sense yeah this card is so much better than work together and maybe because it's an item i'll give it a c it could see play in an item deck potentially but it's, its ability still is not that great. It is repeatable though, so that gives it a little more utility. So I'm a little more interested in it than work together, but it's still not that great of a card. It's a one cost item though, and I don't think you can really understate how good that could be in the item decks. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think we are done with Sapphire, which means, um, Let's just wrap up here. So if you are just tuning into our podcast and this is the first one that you have heard, go back and listen to the other colors that we have covered so far. So that would be Amber, Amethyst, Emerald Ruby, like I said at the beginning of this episode. Otherwise, tune in for our next one where we cover our final color that is Steel. And if you're looking for something to do until that episode drops, Check us out on YouTube or Twitch. We'll be streaming probably a couple times a week. And also follow us on Twitter or Instagram because we will definitely be notifying you guys whenever we do plan on streaming or whenever a new episode does drop. So on all of those, we are Inkwell Gamers. And with that being said, I bid you adieu. <laughs> and have a great day, everybody. We'll catch you next time.